State Representative Jackie Chan of Quincy is not in Austin, Texas anymore. He's back in his dining room in Quincy. Hey, Jackie. Morning, Joe. Welcome back to my dining room, everyone. And uh, glad to uh, not have a uh, remote tacky, but I will promise you at some point we'll uh, time in other uh, educational visits or a, a tour of a facility outside of uh, my living room and uh, take you another future up on a different day. Yeah, I look forward to that. And it was actually kind of fun to talk to you uh, while you were uh, at a different location. It worked out well, actually. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, it was good Wi-Fi. I mean, it was Google headquarters. So that that was kind of a given. Um, it was probably logistics, of course, getting my little cell phone camera uh, set up you know, properly. And you know, I had the earbuds for the first time. You've seen me use those. And you know, a couple of just little logistical issues to make the, the lighting, everything work. Most people don't realize if you're watching this that you know the background lighting matters a lot on Zoom. And uh, trying to find the right angles, and obviously uh, I'm in a workplace, so the I'm not supposed to be, you know, have people working their you know, day jobs behind me on film. So I had to make sure that the, the Google privacy stuff is correct for their own employees because it's not part of the show. And um, you know, this you know, but I mean, even without uh, Wi-Fi, I mean, you know, five G network makes a huge difference. We like we didn't hang them in the parking lot in Hingham, I mean, does a 5G network. Again, you know, a little bit of jerry-rigging in the car, but, um, you know, high-speed uh, cell phone signals, and I do know there's some congestion here and there, if I've experienced myself, but high-speed 5G signals really didn't make a difference. Yeah, for sure, and um, I've worked out well. So, But now you're back home and uh, hard at work. I know up late last night at the State House. Well, I mean, I uh, got home. Uh, we closed session last night at one. Thankfully, I live in Quincy. So, you know, was, after I packed up and said goodbyes to folks, I mean, I was home, you know, probably about 140-ish. Um, and, uh, you know, other uh, members, unfortunately, had to drive two, four hours home uh, last night. And, you know, hopefully some smarter ones or wiser ones, more likely, you know, who've been around long enough know to get at least a one-night hotel room uh, as opposed to try to drive back, you know, four hours in some cases. And uh, this job is a lot of hurry up and wait. Um, it's part of the start, stop, start, stop. I talk about a lot. As we close in on the end of a, a formal session period, it, it's it's just a lot of like red light, green light, red light, green light scenarios. So last night was no different. Um, you know, we were able to pass a bill on long-term care facility regulations, meaning that we're going to provide greater oversight and regulatory uh, construct for the long care living facilities, which are, um, an issue that came up as part of COVID. We discovered how much problems there were. Administration, uh, Baker administration, they created a lot of regulations. For example, they created uh, no more than two bed per room space, for example, and they also required a certain level of distancing between beds and updated their regs on facilities regarding um, uh, standards of uh, what you call it, internal uh, infrastructure standards, like you know training, medical supplies, sanitation, things like that. But, you know, also created a circumstance where like Quincy Rehab, for example, uh, is a victim of that regulation where, you know, they were doing triple quadruple beds. And as a result, it was impossible to maintain the economic structure because they couldn't get enough beds in to maintain the facility, which was one one of the reasons they closed, uh, not not the sole reason. And, um, you know, it's actually a good thing uh, that we did this. I mean, it's a much needed uh, in-depth dive by Tom Stanley, the chairman of Elder Affairs uh, from Waltham. So Stan has spent not just this year, but also the session, prior session, uh, trying to put a plan together. So uh, many people think it's like, oh, you do this in two months. Well, no, in, in Tom's case, he's been looking at this for uh, over two years. Mm -hmm. 
And it took, you know, one full session of research to get to uh, the beginning of this session uh, to uh, get a plan on the table uh, for us to look and vote on yesterday. Yeah, it's, it's it's great. It's much more dignified care for for patients and and more comfort for their families to know that they're they're in safer facilities now. Absolutely, and also to try to get some opaqueness of the facilities, also because one of the things most people don't realize is that a lot of these facilities are owned by you know big venture capitalist groups or hedge funds or you know other large corporations under five different shell companies and. Um, I don't want to get into accusations, but I do know that are not, for example, I mean, some of the ones like there's a German one out there that is not part of a hedge fund. I mean, South Cove Manor here is not part of a hedge fund. But not surprising, some of these big companies come out of places like Florida, which is a lot of senior citizens, right? And they have a lot of assisted facilities, the for-profit organizations, and they just buy up other ones around the country. And um, it's meta, and if you ask, why would you want to buy one of these? It's, you know, very labor-intensive, high liability. Um, it's really about Medicare and Medicaid money, the Medicare money, the mass health money, um, you know, guarantees a margin. Yeah, it's exactly. It's guaranteed. Right. So it's worth it for them to do that. Speaking of um, Medicaid tech, I was looking at the the two point eight billion supplemental budget proposal. I was surprised that the, the huge percentage of that, the bulk of it is for for mass health. Right. Yeah. Federal reimbursement. Yeah. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. I mean, mass health. We guys know it's Medicare, Medicaid. It's very confusing when I tell people this because people keep thinking Mass Health is like some like something that is not. Most people that are you on Medicare, you're on Mass Health. It's called Medicare, Medicaid, and that's this looks like California. It's called Cal Health. There's also okay. Medicaid. Some people always think it's two different programs. A program is administered by the state but funded by the feds with a matching share by the state. And if we don't provide a match, there's no funding from from the feds. So, you know, our budget, I think our budget's closing in on, closing on 35% of the budget is, is mass health. Wow. Okay. So, but the, that's, that's matched by the feds? Yeah. 35%, 50% of that's fed match. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Which includes um, $2 billion budget. Yeah. That That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, the, the the biggest, you know, I guess, headline from from the supplemental budget is the two hundred fifty million for the um, emergency uh, shelter system that is still in limbo. Yeah, uh, this uh, uh, Lord, I mean, I know people are upset about this issue uh, regarding um, funding emergency shelters. Um, we talked about this last week as well. I mean, you know, they're not all migrants. It's uh, there was already a, a large. Share. I talked to my other colleagues yesterday in Worcester. There's already a large share of people who are in state that acquired for emergency shelter. A lot of uh, was response to the end of the uh, rental moratorium last November, one year ago is uh, coming. Uh, yeah, actually, one year now is is the end of the COVID moratorium on rents, which then started the eviction process, which includes a lot of children's children and women. Um, you know, and the result they end up in the emergency shelter program as as the China Workers Permanent Housing. So, and of course, you know, a lot. If you know anything about our uh, housing programs, I mean, they're a capacity. They've been a capacity for over a year. So, between the hyperinflation, you know, wage growth, uh, rental price go up, and nothing matching up on the growth together, and the end of the moratorium, we already had been taking a large, large number of families. Um, into shout into uh, emergency shelter, migrants just added to the problem that already existed, and uh, no one no one wants to talk about that. And as I like to say, it's a portent of the next year's economy. 
there's more uh, families in Massachusetts enter emergency shelters a portents of how what the economy is heading next year, which is not a good sign. Mm, yeah. Can't pay rent. Chances are pretty good you're not paying for other things. Right. Yeah, that's you're right. That's not talked about a lot. So that's important to note, right? Um, uh, half of those, these folks are Massachusetts residents who've lived in the state for a long time. Yes. You know, what, 7,500, give or take, you know, families, you know, half of those are Massachusetts residents. And, uh, you know, one of the things about right to shelter is the fact that we don't often, very often don't see kids living on the streets in your neighborhoods. Uh, very rarely you find it. Um, we ignore mass and caste, which is a special situation, which is a continuing problem for Mayor Wu. If you, you follow the news, cleaning people out of a geographic zone just meant they went to a different geographic zone in near the same geographic zone. Um, but in terms of um, what it means to us, you know, in downtown Quincy or not, I mean, we do see people who are, who are homeless, you know, in downtown Quincy, but you don't often find pregnant women, you don't often find children. Uh, that are homeless in downtown, and that's because of right to shelter. Yeah, yeah, no, it's you're right. It's mostly adult men and women that I, that I see. Yes, you don't. Let's say you don't find pregnant women, you don't find children. So that that is what the right to shelter laws about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's kind of lost in the conversation because we, until you actually put it out there, you know, as I like to say all the time, I always say the things that sound obvious because I don't know if you're seeing the same thing I'm seeing. Right. And like friends give me crap for it all the time. Because why are you saying something we all see? Because, you know, my friends. But, um, you know, but then you go around and think about it for a second. If you're walking outside and you're in Boston, Boston Common, uh, which is, uh, you know, has homeless persons out there as well. And but down Quincy Center, take a look at who they are. Just don't kind of walk by them and act like they're invisible. And uh, you, you're going to see what I'm seeing. Yeah, no, it's I I work right in the heart of Quincy Center, so I I see it all the time, every day, actually. And and um, you're right, mostly they're keep to themselves, respectful, you know, uh, not causing any problems. Yeah, that is generally the case. And you look at their age and gender; they're adults, and uh, there are no children. Right, exactly. So, uh, explain what happens now, because now you go into informal session. Is that right? Yeah, formal sessions ended yesterday. You know, as I said, we were out late last night. Waiting, night of waiting. And uh, as a result, under the rules, formal sessions are over. And then uh, we start with informal sessions. Informal sessions means we can still move a bill out of uh, the chambers uh, if there's no objection. One person objects, so of course, a quorum, then the session ends and all activity in the session is, is considered null and void. So we can still pass the supplemental budget provided nobody uh, objects. Uh, and, you know, that happens. They just formed a conference committee last night, but that's how we knew a deal could have been done, could not have been done as soon as we heard conference committee. So as a result of a disagreement through bills, the House and Senate appoints three members of each branch to a conference committee, this being this case being the chairways means leading leading the conference committee in both branches. And hopefully they're able to reach a resolution soon. Uh, and if the, if, if the branches are assured that no member will object, uh, they can do it out. They can move it out in the voice vote. You know what is real life to people? Well, I'm going to have a whole lot of angry public employees because the collective bargaining agreement uh, authorizations are in there. They're already baked into the budget. We just need to authorize the money. So, so what's the holdup, Jackie? What what seems to be the conflict? You know, this is a good mystery question because it's, it is another one of those not clear what's happening because. 
the habit of this place has gotten really poor in the sense one finger points to the other finger and like go talk to the other one. You know, I, I don't find that acceptable. Um, I'm hoping that the uh, leadership team will get out in front of this in the press and just flat out say this is what's been happening. Um, I'm not entirely clear what's happening in terms of Okay. That. Right. I mean, the $250 million is just a small fraction of the $2.8 billion, but is that seem to be the sticking point, that that piece of it? I mean, there's a couple of different sticking points, but I mean, as you also pointed out, the majority of that bill is just Medicare money. Yeah. The other part is collective bargaining. So a lot of that stuff is not new money. I think that's people that have to understand it's not new money. It's either the federal money that's come in, that has to be allocated, and then you know stuff that's already baked into the existing budget needs to be authorized. Mm-hmm. But you know, also just moving money around. We a big part, uh, half a billion dollars is just moving money that was unspent from last fiscal year, okay. and just kind of reallocating it, going back to the general fund or whatever. It's got to be accounted somewhere. It basically is a reconciliation. Yep. Let's call it the reconciliation. So, but I mean, you know, there, you know there's uh, there was this article with this Eric Soccer field up the Senate. Oh, I read about that. Yeah, which I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I didn't hear it. What's the Senate thinking? And then, you know, on our side, we had some small bits too regarding, you know, shares, salary adjustments and stuff, which also make my head scratch. Like, why are we messing with this stuff? So, but the, the shelter money is the biggest hurdle, it sounds like, because, well, the House is looking for greater accountability. We want reports. We want to only release money when conditions are met. We want money to use specific things like human services and permanent shelter solutions. Um, you know, the, the Senate side give them greater level, uh, give greater options, give them give more flexibility for the governor's office to make some decisions how to spend the money, which is, I find, remarkable given the fact that both branches are right now furious, furious with the governor regarding how the migrant situation is being handled. I mm-hmm. cannot find one member that's happy hmm. about how this is unfolding. And, you know, but I also heard last night by the rumor mill that, you know, the governor's furious that she's not getting. Um, the supplemental budget uh, because they do need the money right yeah and, they, and again as we've talked about here before the feds need to step up here yeah there's not a lot of hope for that i mean you know the, you know, the leadership team of both branches as well as the governor's office has talked to our federal delegation they're fully aware of it and, but i mean even the biden proposal on ukraine uh, israel money did have a component to give states uh, human service money address the shelter issue I think it was in the air like one point like two or four billion dollars. I mean, against fifty states, that's chump change. You know, you know, you, you they they need to give us you know each state you know some in the area between one and five billion depending on the size of your state. I mean, if you're like Texas, you're probably going to look at five to ten billion. Right. Massachusetts, you know, smallest state, probably close to one billion. I mean, you know, but they really need to talk uh, to the various states of what they're going to need uh, in the upcoming fiscal year from the federal. Government, not just on shelters, but also like full blown workforce programs, you know, human services, healthcare, immunizations, you know, which is a big deal. You don't understand how important immunization is regarding uh, migrants. You know, you know the, the, the healthcare in those places they come from are healthcare. I mean, they don't get measles shots for Pete's sakes. I mean, right. you know, I was going to say they have nothing. Yeah. Yeah. We stopped giving measles shots to kids, my understanding, like 20 years ago. Right. So, I mean, you got unvaccinated kids from measles and measles are coming in. I mean, you can't screw around here. So, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I mean, the feds really do something comprehensive where you look like a giant state like California and Texas is sitting at the border of Mexico versus you know, New York and Massachusetts, which is more up, you know, upstream, so to speak, 
from the Mexican border. I mean, the Fed should do a comprehensive review about you know what's going on in the state and just allocate money. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be offended if Texas got like ten billion dollars in human services stuff because, well, no kidding, right? I mean, well, Massachusetts well, maybe you know over a billion dollars because you know not just because of the right to shelter, but also addressing the entire issue associated with the with the sudden influx of these migrants. Right, right. Well, you hope that, you know if they have the resources at the border to deal with it, that may lessen the burden on further states north. Well, it's again, we talk about this again over and over again. It's a humanitarian crisis, not a border security crisis, which people like to wave political flags and blame other folks. But I mean, you know, when you you literally just getting processed at the Mexican border, and then they say, here, go, you're good luck to you, and just send you off into like the street in the wild. It's like releasing somebody in, uh, you know, into like the wild saying, hey, here, go. They, they, they didn't do a health check, they didn't do uh, working papers, they didn't do uh, you know, oh, your kid's doing all right. You know, do you have seniors that have disabilities? I mean, that's being done at our level here in Massachusetts as soon as they get here. So, I mean, the feds literally just say, well, here's a temporary visa, good luck to you, and you just walk off. I mean, this is ludicrous. Right. Yeah, it's like somebody from outer space landing here and, and just walking out and trying to figure out life. Yeah, this this is this is how the feds operate. And you know, we always talk about how one hand does not know what the other hand's doing. Yeah. It's true. But I mean, you know, don't even try to do a coordinated response with the state. So, I mean, it, it, that's one of the reasons border states are upset with, with the, the feds, not just border states in the south, border states in the north, too. Canadians, there's a lot of undocumented Canadians in, in the U.S. Uh, and, you know, they don't get a lot of communication either in those border states, north and south. And right. the feds have, like, no interest in working with state and local, and in the case of places like Texas, county government. Uh, you know, to come up with some kind of, you know, humane solutions uh, to real people that are in real danger and real need. Yeah. Um, one thing that has changed since we last talked, um, the federal government's not going to shut down for a little while again. <laughs> well, I mean, and uh, we might not have, we might have a new speaker to house battle again soon. Oh, that too. <laughs> the, uh, uh, I can't even name the guy anymore. Uh, I've been so tired this week. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, not a big surprise to me. I shouldn't. No one should be surprised. Just watching politics, they had to pass a continuing resolution. Um, didn't matter what it had, what it looked like, but it needed Democratic support. Right. All but two Democrats in the House uh, voted for the continuing resolution for a two-tiered system where they have a phase out certain parts of the government regarding how long you get paid into early next year, January, February. Which I don't ask me how it. I don't understand the logic behind it. I, I, I don't get it. I'm not going to here try to pretend I understand what's going on. I just know the politics is bad for, for who's the, whatever his name is, right? I can't think of his name either, honestly, right now. It's changed so often in the past couple of months. <laughs> uh, so there were so many candidates. But, I mean, now now he's in the same boat that McCarthy found himself into. Right. right? He didn't pass a continuing resolution, and 94 Republicans voted against him. So, you know, all it takes is one of them to, to upset the apple cart, so to speak. And now you already know to get 94 against you going to the caucus trying to save yourself. So, yeah, this could be an basic, basically here's the can kick it down the road again. <laughs> well, yeah. And this ugly can is the speaker in the case in, in D.C. So he might have some. Uh, it would be, be Kenny Cole in a stocking and it'd be a different way of singing 12 days to Christmas. <laughs> given how they uh, do their leadership battles in the Republican caucus down there. So uh, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, any of them decide they're just going to take this guy out due to no confidence or force a leadership battle again in December. I wouldn't be surprised at all because this is nothing different than McCarthy did. 
no exa exactly right yeah um and he saw that he saw the writing on the wall and you know sacrificed himself basically <laughs> yeah this guy basically had no other choice but to do the same freaking thing so right. you know, it's the same position that mark Cathy did i have a hard time not seeing the same outcome hmm. stay tuned for that it's election um, cycle. election cycle people do not like the government shutting down during election cycles Yes, no, that's true. Exactly right. Yeah, because that has an impact back at home for sure. Uh, hey, let's talk about the uh, governor announcing the the uh, free tuition uh, for state college students. Yeah, we put a pilot together about $25 million or so for community colleges to allow persons 25 age and older to have a high school equivalent to be able to go to community college for free. The rough count was about $25 million, and uh, you know, the governor didn't really have a program organization plan at the time, but we gave the authorization for to come up with something. So it's good to see they've put together a program. Um, and we'll see how it unfolds. If it turns to be very popular and it's a successful program, uh, then you know, obviously we'll like to continue it. If it proves to not be as successful or as uh, people take advantage of it, then obviously we'll reevaluate the situation. But yeah. these kind of things is not a one-time review. You can't just go in and say, look, I'm going to look at this one time and one moment snapshot and you make a determination. I mean, these are multi-year reviews. So you already don't see the outcome of this stuff for probably like at least three years. Yeah. Is this um, part of the millionaire's tax funding, Jackie? Um, we already included this as part of baseline budget. Okay. Um, try and remember because, try and remember because the way they did the millionaire's tax was kind of funky on how they allocated it. So they intentionally try to allocate um, uh, they try to allocate the main tax money as part of, as outside of baseline. Okay. Meaning it's not part of essential. Okay. All right. Because that's going to fluctuate, I guess, right? That is the huge concern we have with the millionaire's tax. Yep. If there's a fluctuation and you make it as part of core essential as opposed to like, you know, it'd be nice to have, um, you know, you, you have problems. And we're going to be seeing that soon because the millionaire tax is not looking like it's going to work out well. For FY24 right now. Oh. Yeah, the revenues have seen this down. Cap gains in particular is down a lot. Um, you know, there's rumors going around about whether the governor is going to implement IC cuts next year, which is where the governor gets to cut the budget with consensus between the the House Ways and Means, Senate Ways and Means, and, and the ANF office and, and the Treasury. They all agree that you know the, this is the new revenue adjustment number. Generally, enough makes that determination. Administration finance secretary is going to make that determination. No one's going to fight it anyway. Um, with the new revenue adjustment numbers, and she has ability to cut the budget. You know, as in response to the deficit size of deficit, they determine on the new estimates. So, oh, yeah, we've done this before. Baker's done it a few times. No one ever notices until they, you know, I say it out loud because no one thinks about it. But Baker's done it. Been around for Deval Patrick doing it. Been around for Mitt Romney doing it. You know, so it's it's not new to me. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it's still uh, Christmas season. Sales tax is a big part of Christmas, a uh, sales and meals tax. So that, that's very important. A revenue season. Uh, I don't expect great car sales. I do not see great car sales coming up. I think uh, the loan rates are still too high, despite the most recent reductions on the, on the 30 year bond. I, I don't think it's going to cause consumers to rush and buy cars. No, I think you're right. And, and, uh, with the, the, uh, auto workers contract agreements some pretty significant pay increases that may translate into the cost of a new car too. Yeah. Congratulations, UAW. Um, obviously that's, you know, what the SAG contract hasn't been approved yet, but right. which billions of dollars in salary increases and collectively, uh, for uh, everyone. That's, 
that's a good thing. Um, uh, however, the cost has to be passed along somewhere. Yep. And, uh, you can only do so much so-called efficiencies and operations to cover it. Um, but it, but people have got higher car prices they've ever seen, uh, largely because again, you know, you know, part part shortage or part slowdown of parts coming in. Um, and that's a big part of it. Now, uh, to back up again, uh, you know, there's going to be an inventory issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm aware that the the big three had stockpiled a lot of cars, anticipation strike. However, you know, cars are still being sold. It's not the same volume. So some point there'll be an inventory problem coming up down the road. Yeah, might give foreign foreign competition a leg up, uh, depending. Well, also, there's also new and new cars, right? I mean, you you heard the Mansfield plant, Stellantis plant is going to close in in 2025. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's a response to the strike or it's part of the fact that they're anticipating revenue shortfalls from say, uh, lack of sales, but they're doing a massive employee relocation if they so desire. So mm-hmm. I think that is the only union. I think it may be the only union car manufacturing plant in Massachusetts. Hmm. There used to be one in Framingham. I don't know if that's gone or not. I think that's gone. I think it's. I think it's Mansfield. I think someone can correct me, but I. Th- I think that's the case. Yeah, that's going to close. I think in twenty twenty five. So, but I mean, like Tesla, you know, a lot of the foreign car manufacturers are not unionized in the United States. Um, Tesla, in particular, um, of all of them, because the one reason the foreign car manufacturers have not unionized because they're able to offer competitive benefits. Yeah. The unions will try to promise people organizing those areas if the you know, companies they will offer compatible, even better offers. Put up, why would you pay use, right? It's common mm-hmm. sense for people. But Tesla in particular is the one that's going to be the next big target for the UAW because it's the biggest market cap company out there. Uh, and in the you know, massive global reach. And I mean, the dude can do spaceships off the money from Tesla, so you know, that's. That's gonna drive like that's gonna be the next real real challenge. Then Tesla not being unionized and not facing these uh guaranteed wage adjustments, which in print puts into the price of the car. Right. You know, uh, continue to keep reducing the prices, but it also reduces the margins of their profits. Hmm. Yeah. You know, Tesla's gonna uh, become less a premium car over time goes along if they want to remain competitive, especially as VW goes into full gear, which is the biggest car manufacturer on the planet, it's VW. Mm-hmm. So they, they're going full gear electric uh, in 2025. And, um, you know, because the EU is going to require 100% electrification you know, far ahead of the U.S. But cars are different U.S. and Europe. I mean, size, number of roads, they have a whole different, they have a whole different um, system in Europe. It's not like us here. We're, we're very car, car obsessed. Right. But less so in Europe. Um, so, I mean... There's a lot of stay tuned, folks. The, the car industry issues are going to be coming up uh, full force in 2024. It's going to be huge shakeups in 2025. Again, I don't, I don't see you know uh, a massive uh, benefit to state on car excise sales. I just, I just don't see it coming up. Because President's Day weekend is the next big car sale weekend. I just don't yeah. see massive, massive demand. So, if the governor does um, make cuts, how does that translate into state services? Well, this is the tricky part. So at least this, a lot of local uh, agencies that are uh, state-assisted or state-funded, depending on the ratio between the state and not-for-profit agency, you know, are going to find themselves in a lurch because you know, they've already committed their budget to do X number of services uh, for X number of people over X period of time. So as a result, 
you know, there's this nice cut, the local, local profit either has a cut services or, f- or find new money. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking places like here in Quincy, QCAP is a big one, right? That's the big one. The, the other one is like Work Inc. or, or um, yep. similar uh, adult day programs. State Community Services, I know. It's, yeah. Yep. And that's where the governor's people need to get a very good understanding of what human services If they go that direction, right? Um, could be the same thing with workforce development, right? We have mm. programs that have a public, uh, you know, private employers to do workforce training, um, private employers do um, different types of, uh, if they, they, you know, they participate in these programs for job training, human resource training, and things like that the state provides. If they so want to help pay for it themselves, we will help pay you pay for it, right? right? You know, those programs can be cut, right? Um, mm. You know, and uh, it's... It can be very be a broad range. I mean, she, and she doesn't have to cut ten percent on every agency. That's right. And just pick and choose each one and, and cut here and there. This includes things like process they can't process they can't. So research one of my favorite things I have to pick on, which tends to be ignored by every governor. Which I do not understand why that they want to cut process they can't research, but you know it tends to be a favorite target for some reason, which I still do not understand. Hmm. Um, That's discrimination was, against men, right? <laughs> I, I just find it baffling. Uh, in all my years in this gig, it's the one I always scratch my head about that, that the governor's office keeps fighting about not funding prostate cancer research. I, I just don't get it. Didn't know governor, any administration, same problem. I just really? don't. Yeah, it is like a universal thing in the, all governor's administrations. Like the Patrick Zero funded prostate cancer research, which again, dude, why? Um, well, this is the first elected female governor, so maybe it'll be different. <laughs> I don't know. She cut five hundred thousand uh, dollars in uh, line and veto. We had to restore. Oh, okay, okay. So it won't be different. <laughs> yeah, you all know the thing that I have a self interest in this matter. <laughs> well, I've known several men who've died from prostate cancer that I used to work with. I have. Uh, I have a relative that has it now, uh, and uh, in stage four, and you know, we'll see how it goes from there. So. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a real thing for men. And as much as people like to joke about this, but definitely be checked by your doctor. It's like a part of our routine screening, among other forms of diseases that um, honestly will creep up, up and kill you if you don't pay attention. So, for sure, for sure. It's a simple blood test. Do it for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I always, you know, if you're able to, and or not able to, I like, oh, get the annual health check. Again, I know healthcare is hard to, to schedule, but you know, you mind folks that we do it. And you know, that's less we all like to make fun of some of this stuff, but it is serious business in terms of our health. And this is why it's also important on the public if you want to think macro macro policy. I mean, every person that gets their regular screenings, regular health checks, and they catch, God forbid you get something, whatever it is, they catch it early enough, it actually puts less strain on the healthcare system long term. That's right. Treatment is much less invasive and much more successful. Yeah. Early prevention reduces uh, the the strain on healthcare and your insurance costs and our Medicare Medicaid costs down the road. So the more that people can address things like annual check, health check, regular dental visits, regular eye check, um, if they find something that you know needs to address that can be done non-invasively, you know, through diet, exercise, physical therapy, um, you know, uh, even uh, therapists, mental health. Mm-hmm without using prescription drugs, if possible, you know, that is a reduction on the cost on your health insurance, as well as the public health insurance as well. And 
Also, you know, you want to be around for your family, which is also important. It reduces the stress level in your families. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same concept with home health healthcare. Keep people in their homes as long as possible. It's it's you know more cost effective. Yeah, absolutely correct. So, I mean, I as we shift from a somewhat comedic tactic to a very serious tactic in this matter, it's very true. And as we're reaching the end of a year, a lot of insurance um, benefits tend to expire. They probably have not had a chance to utilize. And, you know, people, uh, you know, particularly holiday season, a lot of, sadly, a lot of people pass away, become very ill during the holiday season. And with flu and COVID and RSV and shingles and everything else floating around, it's, it's not just COVID, it's a lot of other things. As you, as you hear from my voice, you know, it's important for folks to, you know, now look into next year regarding their, their health checks. Um, and, uh, and again, it's a lot of stress in the holidays and um, stress also causes, uh, you know, poor results in health. And, mm-hmm. And we've had a tough, tough several years, everybody. We've been through a tough, a tough same situation. You know, uh, there's no reason to go, you know, crazy, uh, so to speak, to causing you a lot of stress in the holidays and you know, try to get family to show distress. And I know that's hard for some folks who want to feel like, you know, they're the person in the family that's making things happen. Um, but, I mean, it's also good for your health to try to reduce your stress levels um, when the holiday season uh, is, you know, all families are trying to manage a lot of things happening in their homes and they also want you know keep their loved ones happy um i get that i do but uh take it from a guy who doesn't always take the best care of himself uh as people have seen me over the many years now looking like you know something a cat dragged in <laughs> even i've started uh i've started and um, now again i'm restarting a lot of my own choosiness i think is way to put on on trying to get to events and try to address my own health issues you know i've been exercising more Watching my diet, I need to pay more attention to my own mental health, uh, particularly now that the sun's going down. Um, I need to, you know, and of course, you know, I got my own family issues like all of you do. So, trying to you know get that life balance going. So, you know, like I said, the holiday season because of the stress levels and families, you know, often results in higher healthcare problems. And sadly, you know, a lot more wakes in December and January. Yeah, unfortunately, that is true. We uh, usually end up talking a little bit about the economy on this program, and it's looking less likely the Fed's going to raise rates again this year. No, uh, you're absolutely right. I, I thought to be December rate here at 0.25%. That is not going to happen. The CPI came in 0.1% below expectation, uh, close to three. Core CPI continues to be very sticky. We're not dipped below four. But again, down 0.1%. You know, the production stuff, you know, the cost of doing business, the PPI, you know, also was down again, very significantly uh, against estimates. Uh, wage inflation, I've not seen yet. Um, those numbers are on the way. Um, and then you have, but the jobs for uh, opening per uh, individual still remains at 1.5 job openings per individual. So you got this really ironic problem where uh, inflation is still sticky. Uh, 4% core, 3% um, CPI is still not good. And then you had like the last... Uh, quarterly uh, GDP at near 5%. So you got this real, again, we're still running a, a very warm economy. We have unemployment under 4%. We have inflation, uh, particularly core inflation, which is not clean energy and housing at 4%. And wage inflation, again, we're waiting for that number. And then G- GDP means the economy is still exporting and importing heavily. Um, and it, But consumer confidence have dipped below 65% point in Chicago index, which means that we've reached the lowest level of consumer confidence since COVID. I read that, yeah. And you have a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars in credit card debt, which has not been paid off yet. 
Plus, we have savings accounts dropping below $200 million. But the saving account thing is a little bit deceptive, I think, because as we talked before, people have been moving the money to money markets and bonds. Yes. Which is not a savings. CDs is not a savings. This is money that's on hand. But, you know, you look at some of the other reports coming out. I mean, it's like 35% of all Americans did not have $1,000 available for emergencies. I, it is very wacky static, the statistics when you think about it, right? Strong economy, not enough money, super high debt for consumers. Forget about the government for the moment. Just normal people debt is super high collectively. Student loan impact is going to be felt in December and January because mm-hmm. they check, recheck their uh, finances. Service use is high. Durable goods are low. People are still doing like restaurants and now trips. But durable good purchase like TV and cars are low. And then Expedia and bookings are giving mixed results about future travel because generally people don't, it's, you know, spontaneously travel. It's expensive. So people plan for trips. You know, one company says that it's strong. The other company says it's weak. And airline bookings for three months out is wicked low now. So, and gas prices are now stable. <laughs> it is wacky. You're right. I read uh, an analyst uh, the other day saying that he thinks folks are waiting for uh, prices to go back down to pre-COVID levels, and he doesn't think that's ever going to happen. I agree with that. That, that is very unrealistic uh, to happen. I think people are, are expectations regarding, um, you know, how to stretch your money is 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 here already. I, I don't think we should sit around and think that. Um, that uh, you know they can spend money and you know this is the best it gets so to speak I, I just don't see that I mean you know food inflation legit is now but wage inflation is keeping food prices up the person stocking your, your grocery market is the reason why you're paying more your eggs and cheese as opposed to the actual dairy industry which has actually gone down on, on, on a wholesale yeah it's called corporate greed folks corporate greed yeah there's a bit of that but you no know, certain industries have different margins right restaurants have very poor margins mm-hmm. that's so, true very thin margins yeah so the person stocking the uh, restaurant means Cisco. So the wholesale price goes to Cisco. Cisco has fuel costs. They have to pay higher wages, which is passed along to the restaurant, which then also has its own wage increases because we all know that hourly wage workings increase on its own, which then translates to the bill on your on your um, on your on your tab when you buy something. It's this whole wage. The wage thing is really an issue because it has its own chain effect. And now, you know, again, we talked about this with um, the car industry. It's eventually those wages going to have to build into the price of cars. And, um, and unemployment is probably going to shift down because the unemployment numbers that you see uh, most recent October was a result of layoffs from car industry folks. Any industry that had an uh, ancillary component to the car industry because of the length of the strike resulted in massive layoffs. Same mm-hmm. happened with the film industry, California in particular, you know, and New York in particular, but also Massachusetts, but especially the two mega size, well, actually three, Georgia is now two, the mega size. Um, film industry states monster layoffs and the actor strike is going to continue to string those layoffs along as those answering industries like food services, makeup services, hairstyling, um, uh, costume design, set design, and that includes things like buying wood. You know, Mm -hmm. design. I mean, this is a ripple effect uh, from that industry, which I always like to talk about that in Massachusetts, but you know, places like California, which is a major part of the economy, no. It affects their employment numbers too because it's massive layoffs. So, you know, uh, the unemployment number could, you know, with entity strikes, maybe come, we come see the uh, December, January unemployment numbers. We could be back to like 3.5%, mm. down from 39 which then, of course, 
creates another the continual problem effect is too many jobs and enough people. Right. So, I mean, uh, stay tuned. I, I don't think the story is written regarding um, this post-COVID economy or the COVID impact economy. It does seem to be a kind of a, a delayed d- delayed reaction. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, and, and again, it's all delayed because the impact of the interest rate hikes, you know, it take, it's not felt for at least one year to 18 months. Yeah. So I, I know there's a lot of talking heads out there talking about, oh, you know, this is over and things like that. And I, I may not, they may not be wrong. However, I mean, everyone's looking at snapshots of data and none of us can see the future. So, you know, I, I think as consumers, or as consumers, I think you should you know, continue to look at high yield savings bonds and high yield savings accounts to maximize the interest of money you're trying to save for a rainy day. And yeah, wouldn't the farmer always say, make hay while the sun shines? <laughs> well, it's not going to last forever. Um, and, you know, Wall Street, you know, was projecting out surveys at, you know, 68%, I think, something like that. They think rate cuts would happen in May. But the Federal Reserve has consistently said higher rates for longer. And don't bet against the Fed. I mean, I don't think these surveys mean a whole lot, to be honest with you. I think you're right. And the Fed's not elected, so they do what they want. <laughs> they do what they want, but there's a rotation coming. Um, there are, um, most people don't realize the Federal Reserve is composed of a, a lot of members, the heads of different Fed banks around the country. And the voting members rotate. Oh, okay. So another rotation is coming on voting members, uh, which is healthy uh, for the Fed, actually. Yeah. You know, there's one of the same people voting. and But even though they're not voting members, you know, those non-voting members actually do participate in the debate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. So it's not like they're not influential. They do, do participate in the conversation debate. So um, we'll see uh, the what, early December, December 2nd, is the next commentary by uh, the Fed Reserve. Yep. I, Get to February, so uh, unless something happens, so but I mean, there's a lot of geopolitics, right? We talk about you know the, the tragedy in the Middle East with the uh, uh, war of Israel against Hamas, Ukraine um, has gone to a stalemate war with the Russians. Um, so let's talk about grain movement because again, it's a not uh, impacts our wheat prices, but you know it's life or death struggles. Mm-hmm. Russian and Ukrainian wheat down into uh, those poor regions and. In Africa, but even uh, you know a fairly a modern, mm-hmm. I mean a, a modern country like Egypt, you know it depends on sixty percent of its grain imports from from Ukraine in particular, and uh, you know there's a different type of humanitarian crisis, right? Yeah, yeah. Myanmar's you know, out of control. I, I met with the Taiwanese Commerce, new director of the Taiwanese Consul General, sorry, not Consul Director of the Economic Development Trade Office for Taiwan, uh, yesterday. It's one of my meetings, and just you know. There's a meet and greet, get to know each other kind of thing. Nice. You know, there's that, that looming shadow um, there. I mean, Taiwan is, you um, remind me that Taiwan is a top 10 trade partner of Massachusetts. With Massachusetts, really? Top 10 trading partner of Massachusetts. So if something happens in Taiwan, it actually has no impact on our economy. Wow. What do we trade with Taiwan? Medical, high-tech equipment, education, um, a lot of our standard exports. We also nice. export a lot of organic organics. Organic uh, fruits and vegetables. Hmm. Okay. Well, so, I mean, yeah, a large part of Massachusetts is agriculture. People forget, you know, we live here in the urban areas, but it's just a small part of the state. Yeah, Taiwan's a huge food importer, too. If you look at the geography, there's a lot of mountains there. Hmm. So, small island, lots of mountains. I mean, food export, import is not unusual. And they do export tropical fruits, but oh, okay. our, our tropical fruits actually come from South America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see the stickers for Chile, especially. Yeah, just easy. Yes, yeah, uh, as it sounds, it's easier to move it up from South America than you're flying something over the Pacific. 
Yeah, yeah, I get that. Sure. Yeah. Um, can we talk about a little bit something a little bit lighter? The changing of the state seal, <laughs> Techie. Yeah, you mean the. Uh... We had a great time, $100,000, and uh, we got no answer. You got nothing, yeah. <laughs> Don't even start me on this one. Yeah, it's like they threw their hands up in the air and said, over to you. <laughs> Fine, they say you don't start me on this one. They're going to start me on this one. Oh, uh, well, I figured we'd pick a good one at the end of the show here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I get it. Uh, I think we all understand what the issue of the seal is. Um, but as the report kind of reveals, it's a little more complicated than people think. People oversimplify this. There is a legit history and uh, respect associated with the creation of the seal, uh, even though you may not respect it today. Right. This is kind of the historical context where times do change, and I agree, things change with times. However, you know, a lot of folks feel they don't like it now, but they never look at the larger context. And as the commission looked at the larger context, the historical method, um, there's a lot more to the story than it sounds. Yeah, yeah, you can't erase what happened. You know, <laughs> it, it did happen. It is, it is truth. It is truth, and I mean that's what they reveal. So there's a great understanding of history of the seal now, and uh, and there's uh, you know, a long history of what you're trying to get to, and you know what you find uh, inoffensive today, and we're both of us old enough now, particularly with things like words and symbols, mm -hmm. uh, maybe offensive to someone twenty years down the road as times change, right. but raises the historical context of why it wasn't offensive today. So if you're one of those folks that, you know, hey, you know, well, this is offensive, I promise you that whatever you like as a symbol today, somewhere 25 thousand years old, you're going to be coming to this conversation like us, like, you know, you don't understand. Uh, and, uh, and that's, that's again, this is called age, right? Yeah. Because I've been around a while. So I, mean, I do pay attention to a lot of things. And some things should go by the wayside. Um, yeah. But then we also tend to forget. And that's why I was a little troubled by things like historical monuments. Right? People feel it's offensive, so we have to like destroy it. Okay, I get the offensiveness, but I mean, do you know why it was built? Do you know how it comes with it? Do you know the context of it? Do you understand uh, even discussing racism? Do you know why they did it? Why is it racist? If you don't see the racism, then it's not racism. Right. Like, you don't see discrimination, not discrimination. You don't see the oppression, it's not depression. Some of our history is not pleasant, and there's symbols of this history, and they may not belong in a public forum. Maybe they belong in a more private museum situation. Mm -hmm. Stories to be told to be a lesson of why we don't like this anymore. Right. Well, right. That's the deeper, you know, uh, delve in, into it. Um, they're both they're both valid at their at their times. That's correct. And yeah. people, human nature is interesting. My observation in life that you know I don't like it. We should not look at it. Yeah. Well, you, that means you don't see it. It doesn't exist. And it doesn't exist. It's not relevant. So it doesn't matter. Well, I'll spin this again to an Asian components because why not? Right. I mean, people, you can look this up with their folks. Look at the death of this in Chin. Almost minimal information of an individual, uh, Chinese individual, murdered by two uh, Caucasians in Detroit, mistaken for being Japanese, even though it was Chinese, uh, because of the. Uh, decline in competition of the car industry because the Japanese first time decided to compete against the big three. And uh, it was not rude of hate crime. And the sentencing for that situation was uh, probation and a fine. Basically, second degree murder. And uh, the U.S. government could not get their act together or put the effort in for a civil rights investigation twice, as, as well as the uh, uh, state government. So uh, 
But that's, again, no, I, I tell you a story. You can look it up yourself. But you find how little information there is. It didn't exist. It doesn't exist. Mm. That's a tragic story. Mm. Yeah. And it's not in our history books. Again, this is a topic of ethnic history studies. It's more about our histories in different groups in the United States. Right. Not just tragedies, but also successes, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of uh, Asian-American issues are not heard. For example, uh, the first professional basketball player uh, in the NBA uh, is Japanese. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. People mm-hmm. didn't know that, right? A lot of the first uh, military uh, positions of women um, in California, there was California. This largest population in the world are women, Chinese, and Japanese. No one wants. No one wants to talk about them. So again, if you don't exist if you don't look at it, both good and bad. And yeah. uh, you don't show what people. Are, you don't show what oppression looks like to people. People tend to do stuff not realizing that doing the same stupid as somebody did before. It's right. a recurring theme that we're constantly talking about it like it's brand new. It's not. It, it's been here. It's just that you chose to ignore it as opposed to learning the lesson that's there. And uh, burying your head in the sand or keeping your eyes closed doesn't make things go away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the seal is uh, more complex than people give it credit for. Yeah. And again, I mean, I get it. People are offended by it today, but there's a context to the past. And, I, and then, yeah, you feel like you're, you're on the right, but I'm going to tell you in about 25 years, people are going to tell you you're wrong. You're going to be all offended now, too. I mean, I've reached that stage, as you can tell, it's like it's hard to offend me. I just, I, I've been doing this too long. So, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's part of age. It's, well, you know, we can only hope that we learn as we go and you never stop learning, no matter how old you get, that's for sure. Well, that's the hope I have for everyone. We can't learn it all, I fully admit to that. Um, but there's always uh, a unique opportunity. But if you hide things from people that could learn, all you're really, all you're really doing is hurting future generations. Mm, yeah, exactly. Depriving them of that knowledge, right? And then what to do, like, you know, not to do, like, you know, you're burning hand in the stove. You tell other people not to burn their hand in the stove, but you don't tell anybody the stove is hot. People want to burn their hand. That's right. That's right. Um, that'll we'll leave that for food for thought. And speaking of next week is Thanksgiving, Jackie. Yes, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I know the North Quincy uh, Quincy High uh, football game and football game on BC High. I take no sides in this matter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a neutral party as a BC High guy. However, most of my constituents come from Quincy High. I did. It's not lost up. Um, <laughs> and of course, the Chess Parade's also uh, on the coming Sunday. Um, I've now become weather dependent. It's <laughs> the longer I age. I'm not telling you guys. It's a, like a four mile walk, and I'm like weather dependent about what my mood is that day. <laughs> uh, but I'm doing Thanksgiving uh, this Saturday because of a series of scheduling problems of all our various family members. And those that are driving up from Connecticut and other parts. Um, and we adopt some friends whose families aren't, they can't go home to their families. It's nice. Since I do doing since I was in college, I, you know, I used to always adopt friends to come up for Thanksgiving, even it's just not exactly the most exciting Thanksgiving day, but I mean, something went on the table. We just had a good time. Um, so I'm in charge of dinner again this Saturday. Okay. Once I get up this call, um, I'm doing three solid days of, well, two solid days of prep and one full day of cooking. I'll be in the mood, people, uh, just to let you all know. Uh, I'll be in the mood. Uh, but it'll be fun. I do enjoy cooking, as you all know. But it, it, <laughs> I'm cooking for over a dozen people by myself. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Dessert, appetizers, all of it. So, um, yeah, a lot of meal planning going on this past, like, week plus 
Um, as I'm trying to figure out how to do the logistics where everything comes on hot at the same time. Um, and uh, yeah, the electric bill is going to be high. And food bill is going to be high. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Talk about inflation. Like, I'm paying. By the way, I'm paying for this meal. I'm not just cooking it. I'm paying. <laughs> Like, this better be appreciated by family. Otherwise, it might you know start to lose it. I, I, uh, I spent a lot of money. I'll take some pictures. The money's been spent. More money is going to get spent in the next two days. <laughs> trying to get like you know a whole meal plan in place um, as I'm, I'm working this out. So, but I know a lot of people doing Thanksgiving next week is one of the most busiest travel days of the year. So please be safe. Uh, again, I, I really encourage vaccinations, but if you don't, please mask up uh, in crowded areas and airports. This this COVID plus the flu plus RSV is is just roaming roaming around like mad. Um, so again, if you know, I do encourage vaccinations, but if you don't feel like you're going to do that, well, please just mask up and use a hair sanitizer. You know, uh, get those sanitizers out and. Um, you know, try to be safe and, and be well as you travel to see your families or you know, try not to lose it as you're prepping um Thanksgiving meal. So <laughs> depending on where you are. I hope you are the one receiving the food, not the one preparing. <laughs> so we'll take a we'll take a break for next week so you'll have t- time to prepare. We'll catch up the week after. I'll see yeah that means we'll see you in the month of December most likely. That's right. That's right. We'll be looking for you in the parade taggy. Yeah. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll see. Okay. All right. It may, it may seem to do the way by it may not, but uh, I'll make a game time decision on how I feel. But yeah, this Saturday don't bother. This rest of this week and Saturday do not bother me. <laughs> and next week is like recovery from from trying to get through Saturday. All um, right. So we should not give out your contact information then, because you're not going to talk to people. <laughs> no, the staff is still there. So oh, okay. <laughs> my staff's like, I don't know. If they watch this sometimes. I hope they don't. Uh, so 617-722-2370, is a phone number, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov. Um, you guys know the drill on that one at this point. You know, I'll, I do read my emails and I do prioritize your emails. I do try to address emails first that people need more so than the policy issues, which get categorized and logged by myself and the staff. State Representative Tacky Chan Facebook. I think we should have some um, some new pictures of me up there with some folks uh, from this week. Um, and then, you know, we have the state website, mlegislature.gov, mlegislature.gov. You can watch the sessions that are recorded. You can watch the public hearings that are recorded. You can look up the bills on your own. If an inquiry about a bill, you can find those on the website. So um, it is actually friendlier, sort of user-friendlier now. Um, I, I think there's some minor tweaks here and there. Um, and... Uh, you know, tackychan.org, you probably should find it in a Google search. That's more of a reference page than anything else uh, as we continue to update phone numbers and uh, contacts and uh, pictures. And of course, you know, join us, me and Joel, on QA TV every week or every two weeks or so to um, talk about important status issues or national issues or just want to talk. That's right. Exactly. Thank you so much, Tacky. Uh, to you, your, your family, your staff, a very happy, healthy Thanksgiving. You too, Joe. Uh, have a fun uh, Thanksgiving period. And again, I wish everyone well. And uh, oh, I, I forgot. I mean, thank you to Veterans Day. I forgot to mention that. Thank you to our veterans. And also, um, happy Diwali, celebration of light, in, uh, lights by the Indian community, as well as um, headed, heading to Thanksgiving period. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Be well. Take care.